Good morning. Good morning. Happy Resurrection Day. And for those of you who went to traditional churches growing up, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Well said. Uh, the cool thing about the resurrection is it really proved that God could handle anything. There, there was no enemy too great, no sin too awful, no person too dirty. I mean, I think that's why people like Mary Magdalene are in the story. I mean, this woman had given herself to a life of prostitution. I have no doubt that she just felt dirty until she saw Jesus rise from the dead. And he picked people like Peter, like Adrian mentioned, kind of an arrogant, full-of-himself sort of guy, and then who completely turned on Christ by denying him three times. And uh, a really broken man. And I think the resurrection proved that his brokenness was not beyond the reach of God. Then you got Paul the Apostle was either murdering or threatening to murder, even years later. And he saw the risen Christ. Resurrection brings hope. So... Um, I'd like you to just listen to the words of this song. And if you're in a place where you're still wondering, have you gone too far? I think this will give you some hope. You can 
Yeah, that's something to applaud. The work of God is absolutely astounding. I have to be honest with you. I, I didn't really capture that part of Christianity for a long time. Like, what's the big deal? I, I don't feel dirty. I, I didn't really get the I'm a sinner and God is holy part. In fact, that's kind of why I stayed away from Christianity for so long. Um, my sister became a Christian years before I did and kept talking to me and talking to me. And I was going, I don't get this sin thing. And then because of that, I, don't, I totally do not get the crucifixion. Why would anybody do that? What was the point? It really doesn't make sense to me. And it wasn't until later after I decided to give Jesus charge of my life, it, even then it was kind of little by little, began to slowly figure out he's not just the way and the truth, he is my life too. And it's because um, I was dead and my sins were killing me. And without that forgiveness, I'd stay dead. So um, I've been kind of coming to this slow conclusion about the importance of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Because, you know, the resurrection is pretty fun. You know, you can celebrate, woohoo! New life, new beginnings, yeah, I love it. And who's not going to celebrate that? He is God because he proved it. He has conquered death. But there's so much more to that story. And um, over the years, I've begun to study a little bit more about the days leading up to the resurrection. And it, it really began with me in uh, John 13. It's where Jesus was talking to his disciples at this Thursday Passover meal. And um, he was letting them know what's to come. And, and he's kind of preparing them. And uh, this was the night when Judas had betrayed him was planning to, and Jesus said, go ahead, leave now, and whatever you do, do it quickly. And so now there's only 11 of them remaining with Jesus, and, and he's starting to have this conversation with them. And, and along the way, what he said was, uh, when he, Judas, was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. That's amazing. He said glorify like five times, maybe four. And generally, the word glorify is kind of a glorious kind of word, right? You're kind of thinking, woo rainbows and resurrection. And a lot of people even today think he was referring to that day he would rise from the dead. That'd be the most glorious event in human history, right? I thought the same thing for a long time, but... The closer I looked, the less I think he was referring to resurrection. I think he was referring to another way that he'd glorify the Father. I think it was something a little bit more serious, something a little bit more sobering, and perhaps a little bit more costly than the final victory over death. And so as he's talking to his disciples and trying to explain to them, he'd already said, hey, uh, I'm not always going to be with you. I will not always be here. He kind of hinted that along the way during the week. And... Uh, his disciples didn't like it. They were confused. But now he's repeating it again. But he's using it in terms like, this will glorify my Father. And so we get a little bit more of a feel for that when he says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, because he said to, that, to them earlier, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. I always thought that meant heaven. You know, until I die on the cross for you and your sins are forgiven, you can't get there. Nobody can get there. No human can arrive in God's presence until after, you know, the sacrifice is made. 
you're not going to heaven, buddy. You're not coming. But I discovered he's probably not talking about that. He's saying, where I'm going, you cannot come. Actually has to do with something he's got to go through first. And I have a feeling when disciples were listening, they were probably saying, but Jesus, you told us, when you called us on the very first day down by the lake, remember? You said, come, follow me. And now you're telling us, don't follow. What's up with that? I don't get it. You're saying, no. I was committed when I said yes. I meant yes. And I've been saying yes ever since, the last three years. I'm saying yes now. He goes, you can't. It's not possible for you to go where I'm going. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Maybe he was referring to the garden of Gethsemane that he knew would soon be a place of prayer for him. He knew that the devil would be there tempting him with a shortcut, an easy way out. He knew the amount of angelic strength he would need to get through the next several hours. And he's saying to his disciples, guys, you have not got it in you to survive when I'm about to survive. You will cave. I will not. That's why you cannot go where I'm going. I will resist the devil. I'm doing it for your sake. You would never survive this temptation. Or maybe when he said, where I'm going, you cannot come, he was referring to the so-called trial of the authorities, Roman and Jewish alike. And he knew that he'd be accused of a crime he never committed. He'd be sentenced to a death he didn't deserve. And he was saying to his disciples, guys, if you went through this, you would just melt. You would confess sins that you didn't commit. You'd do anything to get out of this thing. You would lie. You would cheat. You would steal. You'd do anything to save yourself. That's why where I'm going, you can't come. You wouldn't make it. You will not survive this. Maybe he was referring to the mockery and the uh, scolding or scoffing and mocking and just the soldiers having fun, just treating him like trash. The jokes and, and the threats and the, the weapons, just waving them around, just trying to intimidate him. And he's saying to his disciples, um, if this were you, you would fight back. Peter proved it. He pulled out a sword, remember, in the garden. If this were you, you would cave into your flesh and you would fight and you would resist and you would tug and you would pull. That's why you can't come because my father asked me to come as a lamb and not to fight back. You would never make it. So maybe he was referring not only to the, the mockery, maybe it was to the eventual torture that he would go through. And I just want to warn you, there are some graphic photos here, so if you need to shade your eyes, I totally understand. But maybe he was saying, you know, um, the sacrifice that I have to provide requires a spotless, sinless lamb. Your atonement will only be accomplished if God sacrifices a pure, perfect, sinless lamb. You're broken. You're filled with sin. And even if you followed me all this way, even if you hung on a cross next to me, your death would accomplish nothing because God's perfect holiness demands a perfect sacrifice. That's why you can't come. 
It's not that I don't love your courage and your willingness. It's not that I don't admire the fact that you think you're all in. But you know what? It doesn't really matter. There's only one who can do the next job that has to be done. And that's me. It's the Son of God. That's why you can't come. And maybe as he went further, he was referring to the fact that he would submit no matter how difficult. He would persevere no matter how hard, no matter how impossible the task. He would say... Gentlemen, this is why you can't come. You would crumble, perhaps even take your own life at this point because you would not have what it takes. That's why you can't go, or I'm going. Maybe he was referring to the literal, physical, absolute nearness to death without being able to die to escape. That's why you can't go. Maybe it was... When he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, hold my hand. Don't let me go. Don't let me go, Father. Maybe it's when he looked past the spikes and out to the crowd. And his father reminded him, this is why. This is why you're doing this. It's for them. It's because of my love for them. And then when he hung on the cross, the Bible says that um, there was a time where he was offered comfort a sponge with some bitter vinegar or something close to it. Supposedly had alcohol in it or something to maybe ease the pain. And he said, no. That's why you can't go where I'm going. You cannot come with me. And finally, when he gave up his spirit, the Bible says he breathed his last. They didn't have to break his legs and they didn't have to do anything, but they thought they'd put a spear in his side just in case to make sure he was dead. The Bible says he gave up his spirit. Now, here's something interesting. Nobody really knows for sure where his spirit went. He was still alive. His spirit, his, his spirit didn't die. So the Bible suggests he did go down to a place called Hades where all the Old Testament saints were kind of being collected, waiting and looking forward to this day, and it says that he led captivity captive. So perhaps it was just a train of Old Testament believers who are looking forward to God's promise that they got to all escape. But maybe it was also so that the penalty for sin could be 100% satisfied. He tasted hell itself. And he said to his, he said to his disciples, um, you don't want to come here. So on the third day, Before he rose, the disciples, we know, were distraught. They were weeping. They were shocked. They were lost. They had no idea what was going on. They felt like everything they'd lived for had fallen through. But then on the third day, he rose. And they were shocked. They couldn't believe their eyes. So there's a... um, There's a great little video that kind of shows what it might have been like on the third day. After all that trauma and tragedy and horror, I think here's what the disciples experienced next. Talk about your turnaround. When I first saw that, I just started crying. I said, Lord, I cannot imagine. Cannot imagine having lost all hope and every ounce of belief that you were the answer given up completely on you, and then to see you standing before me. My goodness. 
My goodness, why did you have to do that to me? <laughs> That's a good question. Why did, why did he have to put us through that? Why did he have to put his disciples through something so gruesome, so horrendous, and so ugly? Why did, why did I show the slides to you today? It wasn't just to be, ooh, sensational. I really think there, there's two reasons. Remember I started this morning by saying, I didn't really get this whole crucifixion thing or that I was a sinner. I was a pretty nice, productive person before I met Jesus. What I've learned is uh, two things that I need to understand, and that is how powerfully, demonically ugly sin is. What we saw was the result of sinful people doing things that sinful people do. And what I'm learning is that my sin, though I might have been kind of like a scale of 1 to 10, 10 is an awful person, 1 is, you know, Billy Graham. I might have been like a 4 or 5. And um, that may be true on a scale of human comparison. But the problem is sin is not an event. It's not things we do. It's a condition that we possess and are possessed by. And this is the human nature. When push comes to shove, when it comes to the, a relationship with our maker, our tendency will always to vote no. That's the sin nature. But we'll put on a good show to make it look like we're saying yes. Da, 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 da. <laughs> because we want to kind of you know, impress people, make them realize we're not as bad as you might think. So it's not that you're a horrible person or that you would have been one of the soldiers mocking and beating. It's the nature of the human condition that is so horrendously awful and just plain deadly. That's the reason Jesus had to suffer and die because ultimately if sin is unleashed and if there was no grace in the land, if there was no Holy Spirit on planet earth and sin was just unleashed, unhindered, completely all stops, blown out, boy, oh boy, you don't want to know. The most ungodly holocaust in human history would be like child's play because that's just the nature of sin it's not that we're all that bad so he wants us to understand that's how much we need him that's the point it's not how bad we are i don't think groveling impresses god i think just kind of an unconscious awareness of oh my gosh doesn't matter if i'm a one a five or a ten i'm hopelessly lost without him the second thing i think we needed to see and why the story of the crucifixion is so detailed is so we can understand how much he loves us. He was willing to do what no man could do, let alone would do, so that we could be rescued from that darkness. Can I just say hallelujah to that? My goodness. It's not that I'm all that bad, it's just that I am that lost. That's what he's trying to communicate with us this, this Easter. And I, I want to say happy Resurrection Day to you because that is not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. We have a new beginning. We're a new creation in Christ. We are pure, whiter than snow. We are clean. We are being made whole, little by little, bit by bit. But we have to, especially for us older Christians, we got to stay in that mode of absolute humility and dependence and just kind of learn to verbalize, I'm a wreck, Lord. Not that we get lost in this worm theology, I'm, oh, woe is me, you know. But on occasion, maybe 50% of the time, 
When we're saying, wow, Lord, that was amazing. Look what you did through me. I can't believe we accomplished that together. That's pretty awesome. Pretty cool. I'm pretty cool, aren't I? It's okay to have those moments, giving him the glory. But at least half the time go, oh, Jesus, without you, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for rescuing me. So I'd like to just encourage you this morning, if, if you've been a Christian for a while, um, be refreshed that we're still in need, absolutely dependent on him for everything, everything. We'll never outgrow our need for his mercy and his grace, okay? Secondly, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or a short time, remember how much he loves you, that nothing you have done or ever will do is too much. He'll never draw a red line in the sand and say, you've crossed it. No, he never will. There is no sin too great. He loves you that much. His death proved that. His resurrection proved that. But if you're in a place where maybe you've been away from the Lord or maybe you've never really made the full leap, I like to describe my salvation experience as not asking Jesus into my heart. I like to call it giving him control of me because that's really what it comes down to. I say, I'm no longer my own. I belong to you. I'm yours. Do with me as you will, and I'll try to obey as best I can. He says, that's what brings you salvation, forgiveness, heaven, eternal life, cleansing, healing, and all of that. So if you haven't really made that kind of determined, decisive uh, decision for Jesus, this would be a great time to start, to try. There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, I'll give you a shot. It would be nice if you said, oh, I'm all in. But we don't know enough sometimes. But to just pray honestly and go, Lord, I'm all in. Maybe it's just like the thief on the cross next to him. Simple two-word prayer. He just said, Lord, remember me before he died. And what did Jesus say? You'll be with me in paradise. So it's not the content or the words. It's the intent of the heart when it comes to praying to receive, to surrender, to submit to him, to give your life to him. It's important that you do that because if you don't make that decision before he returns, it will be too late. There is no second chance. There is no purgatory, sorry. Your Mormon friends can't pray you into the kingdom after you die, sorry. It's not real. You really have to make a decision while you're still breathing. And I hope you do that before it's too late. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your, wow, your graphic declaration of love and what you were willing to go through for us, Lord. Something we could never have survived. So we just want to say very simply, thank you for exposing to us again to our sometimes clouded, busy, noisy minds that we really are in need of you. But most of all, Lord God, that in spite of the darkness in our lives, you love us with an everlasting love. So while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you who are already Christians, um, would you raise your hand? Just say, I'm already going to heaven. I know that for sure. Raise your hand. There should be a whole bunch of you. Yeah, good, good, good. Praise God. You can put them down. Now, out of those of you who know you're going to heaven could say, I've been kind of skating lately in my walk with God, and I've been wanting to get back, but I really, I don't know. It's just been kind of tough. But today, I'm ready to turn back around and pursue Jesus and go hard after him and make him first place in my life again. Today is my day for recommitting my life to Christ. If, if that's you, would you raise your hand? 
I'm already a Christian, but I need to get committed again. Good, good, yes, good, good, yes. God bless you, yes, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Good, yes, hallelujah. Oh, Father God, you know us that we needed a Savior because even at our on our best days, we'll keep sinning. So we praise and thank you that today, for those of us who've raised our hands, Lord, our sins are forgiven. We've just confessed, and you promised, boom, in that moment, forgiveness, cleansing is instantaneous. Now would you ignite the fire in us again, Lord, to live a life that actually shows how thankful we are, how much we love you, how you are first place. And if there's anyone this morning who's never made a commitment to Christ, or you're just not sure. You prayed a prayer once, maybe you're baptized as a child, not quite sure, and you want to be certain this morning. I invite you to make a decision for Christ and say, that's me, and I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed. Would you raise your hand and say, I'm not afraid to say so. I'm going to humble myself. I need Jesus. I need eternal life. I need cleansing and forgiveness. All righty. Well, I'm assuming everyone's on their way to heaven this morning, or you're just not ready to raise your hand. Can I encourage you when you're home alone at night, lying in the dark? Would you have a conversation with God and just say, God, show yourself to me. Show yourself to me. He will take you up on that. Thank you for these things, Father, in your mighty name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. So as we go this week, I know Easter's a lot of fun. I love family time. I know it's not Christian, but we're having an Easter egg hunt this afternoon. <laughs> Grandkids get it. They get that it's not real. There's no Easter bunny. But you know, the best part is relationships. As you start hanging out with relatives or friends or neighbors that you haven't seen for a while, um, can you just be audible about your Christianity? Just be verbal about what you saw or experienced this morning and uh, in a positive light? Say and do things that will attract people to the Jesus you know and love, the one who died for you and was raised from the dead for you, okay? That'll, that'll be your assignment for this Sunday afternoon. God bless you. We'll see you next week.